My name is Barry O'Leary and you are listening to The Global Step. Welcome to The Global Step, a podcast created to educate listeners on how companies should expand internationally. I chat to a range of guests from entrepreneurs, mentors, advisors, investors and also academics to see how young companies can best avoid the pitfalls of expansion and successfully take the global step into new markets. Ireland's startup scene is one of the hottest in Europe right now. Its location and wealth of talent allows it to be a bridge between Europe and the US. It's where Facebook, Google, Microsoft and a host more tech giants have their European HQs and the jumping off point into the US for startups from across Europe. Recently I sat down with Andrew Parrish, Director of Startup Ireland, to talk about the growth of startups and entrepreneurship in the country. Andrew shared some great insight into the industries and companies that are hot in Ireland right now, as well as the key pillars Ireland has in place that has helped to become what it is today. A country brimming with tech talent, producing many quality tech startups that have scaled globally. So Andrew Parrish, thank you very much for uh, joining me today. Very much appreciated. Maybe it's best to start off with if you can give me uh, a brief overview of your role with Startup Ireland and the goal of Startup Ireland as an entity. Sure, it's great to talk to you today, Barry. Thanks for the opportunity. So Startup Ireland was established as a as a voluntary, not-for-profit national organisation, um, really to promote and enable and champion um, Ireland's startup community, you know, focused on the the lonely founders and the entrepreneurs that uh, need to have a voice. Um, our role is really to kind of facilitate a conversation and provide a platform uh, to enable um, a spotlight to be shone on you know, some of the really interesting and, and valuable startup activity that's happening here. Um, it's fair to say over the last year or so, we've probably uh, reset ourselves in terms of our strategy and we're looking to relaunch this year with a whole new program of activities. Um, but suffice to say, I think we're the only national organization that would be uh, entrepreneur-led and founded. Um, we're linked into the European Startup Network, for example, so it gives us great access to see what's happening in startup ecosystems elsewhere, and then to try and see what we need to do here in Ireland to make sure we're not not missing any, any anything in terms of best practice or, or, or great ideas. So, for example, um, we published a startup manifesto last year, which really would have been based on looking at what's happening elsewhere in really good startup ecosystems, seeing what we're doing here, and then trying to see what things need to be done to make sure we fill the gaps. Uh, and my role is, is, is the director in Startup Ireland. And Startup Ireland itself was acquired by another organization called Connect Ireland uh, last year. And Connect Ireland's job um, on a philanthropic basis was to attract inward investment into, into Ireland, working through people like you, the Irish diaspora overseas, who would send us leads, and then we would help those uh, those companies to establish here in Ireland. So Startup Ireland and Connect Ireland, there was a lovely synergy there. Uh, I was uh, working uh, with, with Connect Ireland at the time, so and very often the companies that were coming to Ireland through that network were themselves early stage, and this would be their first international expansion. So bringing them in and helping them to become part of the startup ecosystem here uh, just seemed to make sense, instead of finishing when they land at, at, at the airport. Um, so Startup Ireland and Connect Ireland work very closely together, uh, looking to relaunch ourselves this year with some new strategies and some new ideas. Wonderful, wonderful. Maybe jumping on then, Andrew, to uh, Ireland's ecosystem, the overview of it. What are the areas of you know business? 
what are the types of companies that Ireland successfully produces, you know, maybe jumping on further, what area is Ireland seen as a world leader or potentially a world leader in your eyes? Yeah, so it's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, Ireland's uh, startup ecosystem, for want of a horrible word, is, is <laughs> actually really exciting. Uh, and there's a few things that we need to do yet to get it right. But if you look at kind of a, we'll say, a, a theoretical uh, model for what startup ecosystems uh, should contain, there's a, a useful one that was established by a group called the Startup Commons. Um, and they have uh, kind of six main ingredients uh, or kind of infrastructural pieces that need to be in place that would warrant uh, a startup ecosystem that could be recognized by having, you know, kind of really cool ideas and, and research all spinning out with, you know, kind of active and, and uh, capable entrepreneurs and the right sort of funding. And, and the key pillars that they see is the presence of large companies, um, good quality universities, presence of funding organizations, obviously, service providers into that research organizations and then the support organizations and i guess if you kind of look you know through e each of those in ireland i mean ireland's renowned or famous now for the extent of foreign direct investment into ireland by the large multinationals so you name it you know uh, uh, we have all the top um uh, tech companies here whether it's intel google facebook linkedin dropbox airbnb hubspot uh, slack and indeed etsy amazon uh, they're all here so you know, we certainly tick that box in, in terms of having the, the big companies, which is fantastic. And it's been interesting to see how they relate to the startup community here. And what I find more attractive is how they spawn new startups where people that come to Ireland to work in these uh, um, multinational tech companies, stay for a couple of years, um, you know, get great experience, fall in love with Ireland and Dublin very often, uh, and then decide to set up their own startups here. And that's really exciting to see. So, you know, big companies here is really important. Having access to um, great universities who are able to both uh, commercialize the product of their research is, 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 is super, but also to churn out um, well-qualified, highly motivated, educated graduates. And in fact, PitchBook um, uh, produce a review every year of the top um, universities uh, for um, producing venture-backed entrepreneurs. And of course, as you'd expect in the US, you know, that the, the top universities would be Stanford and uh, MIT and Harvard. But in Europe, uh, the top uh, university for uh, producing more VC-backed entrepreneurs than any other university in Europe is Trinity College in Dublin. Ooh. And in fourth place is University College Dublin. So in the top four uh, universities in Europe, um, two of them are in Dublin, and they're producing graduates who have an entrepreneurial mindset, which is fantastic. So you link those into the big companies, uh, you link them into the kind of support organizations like Enterprise Ireland, and we can talk a little bit more, if you wish, about the role Enterprise Ireland plays in supporting early stage companies, but also in terms of service providers um, and the support organizations like um, accelerator programs, co-working spaces, um, you know, there's a real sense now that it, it's uh, that there there is a community and uh, there is places that entrepreneurs can go to feel like they're part of the community and gain experience and benefit the, you know, from the scars on the back of other entrepreneurs who have been along a similar road. Um, funding organizations, you know, we have um, obviously Enterprise Ireland again is supporting early stage companies themselves. Um, we have a growing angel network. It's not as, as large or as developed as I think most of us uh, would like. Um, there's a vibrant venture capital um, community here as well. Uh, and we're seeing more overseas uh, venture capital firms looking to Ireland now and actually looking to invest in Ireland and maybe put 
uh, a partner here to find the deal flow that they would have an interest in in supporting. So that's all very uh, very interesting. In fact, I think if you look at the total value of venture capital um, investments per capita in Europe, I think in 2017, uh, Ireland was in third place in Europe uh, after Sweden and the UK. Um, so you know, so there is a, a, a good chunk of venture capital now going in to support um, these exciting entrepreneurs and, uh, and founders that are coming out of both the big companies and the universities. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it sounds like it's a, a really bustling, thriving uh, scene. Jumping on on what you said about Enterprise Ireland, then um, Andrew, could you take me into what the common path from a, a startup from Ireland, you know, going from idea through growth to international expansion? We can talk about Enterprise Ireland. We can talk about Startup Ireland. Different types of funding. You mentioned that there's a growing um, desire to invest in Ireland. Any any of those issues, if you could bring them up, that would be great. So, so one of the things that Enterprise Ireland ha- has created here is a kind of um, you know, a, a, a safe flight of stairs to help early stage companies to, to scale up. Um, some people actually think that's a negative because it takes some of the the existential threat out of being a startup, uh, and therefore you know uh, that kind of hunger to survive. Um, but the truth of it is, it provides an environment where it's it's easier for angels or early stage VCs to co-invest if they know that Enterprise Ireland is already there because the risk is shared. So typically what you'll find is um, an early stage company may have gone through an accelerator program here or um, maybe one of the local enterprise offices um, and you know, Enterprise Ireland offers a competitive start fund which is, as the name would suggest, uh, you know, a competition where you can apply to secure 50,000 um, in, in an investment into your company. Um, so that's a really good way of um, you know, getting enough capital in for a founder or you know, a founder and a co-founder to spend you know, 6, 8, 10, 12 months um, really trying to, to optimize their business model and get you know, kind of early stage traction and to see actually do they have a real business. Assuming that they do, um, and they enter what's called the high potential startup um, phase in Enterprise Ireland, and that's really the you know, where Enterprise Ireland look for companies that can create ten jobs in three years and generate a million euros in revenue. So, um, so it's not that high potential, but I suppose you know a million euros in revenue it certainly makes a difference um, in terms of the kind of business that you're going to be in. Uh, typically, it's going to be export led. It's going to be um, uh, something that has significant scaling potential. Um, so very often these are called innovation-driven enterprises. So you know there's, there's risk, but they have this potential for a hockey stick. Um, so they have the high potential startup program is where enterprise on will actually co-invest. So they'll invest in your company. Um, they will never leave. So they'll match, um, or they'll come in behind uh, a professional investor, whether that's a business angel or an early stage VC, and they'll typically put in maybe two to three hundred thousand euros um, on top of uh, the same from the private sector. So that's a really good way for a company to get their seed funding round um, uh, in place, helps them to get a bit more traction, then to start to scale, um, and, and that's really and you know, enterprise Ireland take a, a, a passive role in the sense that they don't join the board, but they do give you access to their international network, which is really invaluable in terms of being able to, to work through their overseas offices for leads for introductions either to you know, um, um, potential customers or to potential investors. So I think once you know, startups you know, become part of the enterprise Ireland family, it really does open up um, the, the network. And obviously you know, there's a number of say, soft supports from Enterprise Ireland, um, such as mentoring and training uh, and all of that, which is necessary as well alongside the finance, 
to give the startups the best chance to succeed. So what you'll find is that the VCs, the early stage VCs and uh, the angels will typically look to co-invest with Enterprise Ireland. That obviously shares the risk and gives them a greater sense of um, actually, you know, there's, there's, there's some momentum behind this firm that we can, that we can support and uh, hopefully make some money out. So, um, so, you know, EI are great in that respect in terms of creating an early stage environment. The challenge is, you know, they're a public sector organization. Their funding can be cyclical. So it does create a, we'll say, a dependence on public sector funding cycles. So one year we might, may have a glut of seed fund available, seed funding available. And then, you know, the year after, and this would be one of those years, there's a, there's a deficiency of seed funding. So that could be the negative here that, um, there is a sort of a, a start stop in terms of the availability of, of early stage capital support and um, to support you know, these credible startups that are looking to, to scale out environment. Thanks for the great overview, Andrew. Maybe jumping on to the more negative restriction side of it, obviously Brexit is hogging the news worldwide. How is that impacting companies in Ireland? Is there uncertainty in, in funding towards companies in Ireland because of Brexit? Or maybe it's grown even. Um, I, you know, I think that, you know, everyone is clearly aware of Brexit and everyone recognises recognizes it for what it is, uh, which is you know, nothing positive for Ireland in truth in the short term. Yeah. Having said that, you know, uh, um, one of the accelerator programmes here, uh, NDRC, conducted some research recently where they were looking at, you know, kind of the fears and the drivers for some of these early stage companies. And, you know, even still, you know, the UK is the second biggest market for digital entrepreneurs, for example, and, um, you know, a significant percentage of them said that actually Brexit didn't cause them any, any fear at all. So I think, you know, those more established companies who already have, um, you know, supply chains in place in the UK or servicing customers in the UK, I think those, you know, later stage companies that would certainly be more challenged, but the early stage companies, um, maybe have, um, a more, some would say, naive or, or more optimistic view of the world. Um, but also they have more options to divert their activities elsewhere. So I think we're certainly seeing um, Enterprise Ireland helping companies to find you know, new routes to market outside of the UK as a contingency. Um, you know, there's a tradition in Ireland that um, we go to the States very early, you know, a lot earlier than, than many other countries because it feels familiar, because of the Irish diaspora network, you know, it's relatively easy to get a door opened and um, that you can that you can you know, get that introduction that might make the difference. So I think maybe there's less of a fear here with early stage companies because they have that option to look to the US. Um, later stage companies who are already trading in the UK certainly will feel the pressure. Okay, so Andrew, I want to ask you about where you see the Irish startup scene going in five years' time, but maybe just before that, I want to jump maybe back, we'll say, 20, 25 years when I was just a kid in Ireland and uh, maybe the startup scene in the 80s and 90s wasn't as good as uh, what it is now for sure. Can you pinpoint a, a time when the Irish startup scene uh, really took off and really helped the Irish economy? You make me sound very old, Barry. So I was just a kid back then as well. So, <laughs> so I can only give, I suppose, the benefit of my own experience and my own entrepreneurial journey. And I think... Personally, I think the most exciting um, time uh, for startups has been in the last 10 years. And I think that's partly, um, you know, maybe controversially, but because of the financial crisis that we had here, you know, the crash, where a lot of people who were in what they thought were stable, steady jobs became unemployed. They didn't have a job to go to. And, uh, they might have had some redundancy. So you had this kind of uh, almost you know, distressed or forced entrepreneurs. People thought, well, I can't find a job anywhere else. I might as well start my own business. 
So it was almost a kind of a, an entrepreneur by default. Um, and of course, in fairness to the state agencies, they tried to support and encourage um, uh, people to do that because clearly it was getting them back to work. And at the same time, you had this continued investment with the, the multinational tech companies. So all of a sudden, you started to, you know, there was, there was this um, sense of entrepreneurs who are maybe a little bit older, you know, so maybe in their 30s, 40s, um, God forbid, some of us are in our 50s, um, where they have a, a very mature view of risk because they probably have a, you know, a mortgage and a family to support as well. So the kind of businesses that you saw emerging were actually well thought through and, um, you know, were, were focused very much on solid business models and how do we get revenue, you know, instead of, um, uh, kind of looking for eyeballs and, and a lot of froth that some of the, you know, the startups used to be. So I think that kind of mature view of uh, starting a company here allied with the extent of the, the multinationals and you know the influx of, of funding to support some of those early stage companies really I think created um, a pretty interesting scene over the last 10 years. What we haven't done in Ireland particularly well is we haven't shouted about it, we haven't told the world that Dublin and Ireland you know, have some you know, Dublin, Cork, Limerick, Galway and there's some really exciting stuff of hubs there. And A, a we don't promote uh, it enough, I believe, and part of that was due to the fact that we didn't actually have the data to support uh, what was going on here. So there's so you know, since um, then there's been some really interesting initiatives like Tech Ireland, which is gathering data so they can report it into the various journals and the databases internationally that will actually start to put Ireland on the map. So uh, and, and you know, certainly when we started Start of Ireland a number of years back, it really was about how do we create. Um, a recognition that Ireland is a really, really interesting location to start, scale, and succeed um, you know, with with, uh, with startup companies. So if we can get that kind of um, visibility um, and we uh, correct the current shortfall seed funding, I think it's uh, it's the next ten years should be uh, very exciting here. Speaking of data, Andrew, uh, one of the bits of data that uh, you did have and you did share recently was a correlation between uh, Ireland and Portugal. And in the 80s, they had very similar GDPs. But nowadays, Ireland's uh, economy and GDP is much more advanced and, and much higher than and Portugal's. And one of the key uh, variables in that was the startups, the presence of a lot more startups in Ireland. I, I saw you did a, a talk on that recently. Maybe you can share, you know, one or two details on how a heavy startup scene in Ireland um, contributed to uh, a growing GDP. Sure. Well, actually, it was an interesting um, uh, comparison, um, given that Ireland and Portugal, you know, going back to the, you know, the 1990s, would have had similar sort of GDP, uh, certainly similar kind of rate of change of, of growth in GDP. Um, and it kind of trundled along in sort of parallel until um, about 2013-2014, where Ireland just grew off the charts by comparison. Um, and part of that was due to um, the differential, which is interesting given the earlier conversation around the universities producing entrepreneurs. But at the time, the, um, the delta between the amount that the public sector was spending on education in Ireland versus Portugal was very pronounced less pronounced now because we're not spending as so much. But the big thing um, that made a difference was the extent of high technology exports out of Ireland, where we were five to, to seven times um, uh, uh, better than anyone else in Europe at the time. Uh, and the big thing, of course, is foreign direct investment as a percentage of GDP, which you know was kind of 70% for Ireland and was you know seven or eight percent for Portugal. Mm. So 
Um, so the timing, as I mentioned earlier, around um, you know the, the growth in foreign direct investment through the multinationals, um, allied with these entrepreneurs coming out of universities and maybe um, uh, having a more open mindset to actually starting their own business instead of getting a job in the civil service or the bank like they used to back in the early 90s. Yeah. Uh, I think that's created a really interesting comparison. So looking into the future, uh, where do you see the Irish startup scene in five years? What changes, improvements, developments do you hope to, to see in the next five years? So I think that you know, the thing you'll find that most um, entrepreneurs and most startup founders in Ireland will moan about is the, the treatment of um, tax here. So you know there is still a situation where um, the Department of Finance here don't recognise necessarily that you know, entrepreneurs and startup founders um, literally risk everything in order to create a successful business uh, and therefore deserve some kind of benefit if they do manage to, to get to a point where they can exit their company. So so things like you know, capital gains tax here on an exit is, is you know, still uncompetitive relative to the UK, for example. Mm. So you know, we'd like to think that the work that you know, is happening here uh, in terms of you know, developing policy that would support startups and recognise an innovation-driven enterprise uh, as something that's different to an SME or a small, big company, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but there are certain things <clears> that, that um, uh, entrepreneurs and startup founders need to make it attractive. And also for angel investors um, to be able to invest. You know, for example, in the UK, um, you know, you can you can invest uh, in a kind of tax-efficient way through the equivalent of the um, uh, uh, enterprise uh, support schemes. So whereas here it is less attractive. So if we can kind of correct that um, gap, where in some cases it's better for an angel investor to invest in a company north of the border versus south of the border here in Ireland, uh, that would be great. Um, I think if we do continue to support specific areas where we have the potential to be world class in, uh, so, so for example in things like big data and data science where we have some really exciting companies uh, emerging in agri-tech, um, where I suppose you know, Ireland um, has a, a long and proud history of, of um, agriculture, uh, but now combining that uh, understanding and the opportunity here with some deep tech um, is, I think, really exciting. Also in marine, marine tech, um, we're seeing some interesting kind of intersection between ICT and marine activity. Um, uh, medical devices still uh, very important here. So if we can concentrate on some of those areas and actually get the traction uh, and the recognition that we are bringing out really credible companies that have the potential to become unicorns. And we have a couple of them. Um, but we need more, for sure. In today's Quick Fire 5, I asked Andrew five quick questions, ranging from which Irish company will be making the biggest global impact in three to five years, and also a question on one of Ireland's favourite exports, and where the best pint of Guinness outside of Ireland can be found. Okay, Andrew, uh, time for our quick fire five today. First question, what is your favourite Irish-owned company in operation today? Whew, uh, I mean, there's, there's a few to choose from. I, I always find it hard to avoid one that we all moan about and complain about every time we use them. We <laughs> still go back and use them every week, and I'll be on one of them in the morning, and that's Ryanair. I think they have just transformed European travel, and uh, I think even though it's, it suits us all to throw mud at them, I think they've had a profound impact on, on Ireland's success. 
Yes, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> uh, second question. The one specific industry, I know you mentioned a few there, but let's try make it one specific industry that Ireland is set to take a leading global role. Um, so I suppose d- data science is a very broad sector. Um, uh, so I think that's an area that we do very well here. But I think if I was to pick one, um, one that I think we have a track record um, in you know, good companies and the opportunity to do really well. I think it's in agri-tech, you know, that intersection of agriculture and technology. You're looking at things like um, uh, um, um, autonomous farming equipment, uh, looking at um, there's a company called Magro, for example, that is reducing um, the amount of pesticides sprayed by 70% on crops um, by being very innovative and using cool technology. Companies like that, I think, um, have the opportunity to really put Ireland on the map. Third question, what Irish company will be making the biggest impact in the global impact, I mean, in the next uh, three to five years? Maybe we don't know them now, maybe we do, maybe they're in some people's minds, but, you know, is there any kind of one that maybe will come and really be a, be a force on the world stage in three to five years? Well, I think if we, if we all had a crystal ball and, uh, <laughs> and knew the answer to that and had a fiver to bet on each of them, <laughs> we'd, we'd, we'd disrupt the world. That, that's that. the reaction I get from, from all my uh, guests yeah, on this show after that question. A company that I think is doing really, really cool stuff and has generated a lot of interest and a lot of um, very credible international investors, including, for example, Mark Benioff from Salesforce and you know, some US venture funds and, in fact, Bono and the Edge from U2 have all invested in this company. Uh, and the company's called Neuratas, um, and they use artificial intelligence and machine learning and DNA analysis to really um, identify and uh, um, uh, uh, sort of, um, predict um, beneficial peptides uh, in foods um, that could lead to the discovery of new food components and you know, potentially reduce the need for medic- medicines to, to solve things like diabetes and other in- inflammatory diseases. I think they're really, they're really exciting, and I think the combination of really clever um, uh, data analysis, machine learning, and AI and biology, I think, has something that could be quite disruptive. So I think they're ones to watch for sure. What is the best thing to do in Dublin to pass a few hours, Andrew? Well, you're asking the wrong person um, because I have a very, <laughs> I have very simple uh, needs in life, and okay. for me. Sitting in uh, near ease with a pint of Guinness and a book to pass a few hours is just heaven for me, um, which I suppose would then lead to one of the other things that I like to do if we have guests coming into Dublin or potential investors coming in is the Dublin Literary Pub Crawl, which is a great fun of an evening where you have two actors to take you around six pubs in Dublin and recite bits of Joyce and uh, Yeats and all the rest as you go around in their company. So I think that's a great, great way to spend a few hours. Where is the best pint of Guinness outside of Ireland that you've ever had? Well, as a confirmed Guinness drinker, I don't think I could ever admit that I've had a pint of Guinness outside of Ireland that was better than uh, I've had here. True. But uh, I was in uh, I was in Dubai recently and had a very pleasant pint in uh, in the Irish village in Dubai. So that was a surprise. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Andrew, thanks a million for uh, coming on again. It was very informative and, and thanks a million for your time. Not at all. Great to talk to you today, Barry. Thanks. That's all from me today. Thank you for listening to The Global Step. I hope you can tune in again soon.